0: Welcome to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series, Paths to On-Farm Excellence, where we discuss priority topics for Canadian dairy farmers. My name is Stephen Roach. I'm the Director and Principal Consultant for an animal health research consulting firm called Acer Consulting, which is based in Guelph, Ontario. I'm part of a team that's working with the Dairy Farmers of Canada to help showcase Canadian dairy farming stories, industry updates, and the latest science, advice, and perspectives on high-priority topics that relate to ProAction. You'll find this channel features a number of different series, from animal care to biosecurity and beyond. This podcast series features conversations with farmers, veterinarians, nutritionists, hoof trimmers, and other farm advisors, researchers, and many other industry stakeholders. Our next discussion takes place with Dr. Todd Duffield, a veterinarian and epidemiologist who heads the Ontario Veterinary College's Department of Population Medicine. I sat down with Todd to discuss his research on pain associated with calving for both calf and cow, as well as during surgical procedures. I think you'll enjoy hearing his perspectives from when he was a practitioner, some of the research that's improved our understanding of pain over the years, and where we're headed as an industry when it comes to pain control. So, let's jump in! (music) Well, Todd, it's a, a pleasure to, to get the chance to chat with you again, uh, this time on a, on a slightly different topic, but to be here at the University of Guelph and, and, uh, and get a chance to learn from you a little bit on your perspective on this issue. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So, um, again, you know, we've we've already had the chance to do one podcast on, on cull cows and, uh, and, and I don't think it'll be a surprise to anyone that you've got a perspective on a variety of different topics in the dairy industry. Um, but for those that don't, you know, recognize your name or haven't had a chance to, to hear you speak before, can you give us a sense of, of your background in the Canadian dairy industry or the global industry for that matter?
1: Sure. Well, I, uh, I graduated from uh, OVC. Uh, it'll be 30 years this uh, coming uh, spring. Yep. Hard to believe. And uh, I worked in, uh, in a dairy practice in uh, the Belleville area for four years. And, uh, and I came back after that and, and did a doctor of veterinary science degree, did some work on uh, transition cows and, in the metabolic disease area. And, uh, and then I became a faculty member and I worked in our in ruminant our field service clinic here for, uh, for quite a long time. And then just recently, uh, about three years ago, became chair of the Department of Population Medicine. Um, relative to this topic, I got engaged in um, pain management research um, around, uh, 12 or 15 years ago, somewhere in that range. And, uh, and then I've been quite interested in that, uh, in in that uh, ever since really.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about, about some of that experience you've had in in pain management and what is it about sort of pain and understanding that and and managing that, that, that you find so interesting? It's
1: a good question. It's, uh, it it started, I think with a, a knock on my door, uh, on my office door, um, and a student wanted to talk to me about, about disbutting pain and, and asked a very good question at the time. And it was, uh, you know, I've been down to the small animal clinic and the faculty members there are, uh, very aware of pain management in dogs and cats. And I'm just wondering why you guys on field service don't seem to be, uh, as aware of, uh, managing pain following various procedures in, in food animals. And I thought about his question and I thought it was an excellent one. And, and, um, I ended up getting started on uh, pain management research, focused on disbudding uh, with that student um, over the summer that year, and, and that kind of sent, sent me down this path. Um, so that's that's kind of where the interest started, Steve, I guess. And then um, as I got engaged in it, I got more interested in the behavior and welfare aspects of it. Um, I got thinking more about how pain might affect, in some cases, animal uh function beyond just the pain management piece, but mm-hmm. how it might affect, um, in certain cases, their ability to, to eat and to drink and, and their function as a production animal. And so I think, um, that really tapped into my interest generally in health management.
0: Mm-hmm. So you've, t- you, you, t- you hit on a couple of things there in terms of some of the things that we uh, we now know that, you know, are really indicators of, of pain, but, but can you break that out for us a little bit in terms of the producers listening? What are, what are some of the things that when we see our cows acting a certain way, or what are those, what are those indicators that an animal might be experiencing pain?
1: Well, I think that that's a huge challenge and that's maybe been a barrier for a number of years. Um, you know, we, we, as people, we can ask, other people, are you in pain? Sure. And, uh, and we can even make the choice whether we want to address that or not. Um, maybe some of the listeners have been to the dentist and been asked, would you like to have lidocaine with me fixing your tooth? Mm -hmm. And I think most of us would say, yeah, we'd like to be frozen. Um, and, and then we can also choose if it's painful afterwards, whether we want to give ourselves a, a a Tylenol or an Advil or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, and animals, animals can't make that choice. We have to make that choice for them. And we have to be able to figure out whether, in fact, they're in pain or likely to be in pain. And those, that's really challenging yep. um, because they don't speak. And so we have to look at other ways that they, they indirectly speak to us. And those things are behavior um, things that they might do that they wouldn't normally do if they weren't in pain. Um, and those are very specific typically to whatever the insightful cause of the pain might be. So as an example with disbudding, um, if calves are disbudded with an iron and not provided pain relief afterwards, um, the inflammatory pain causes things like ear flicks, head shakes. They may take their hoof and rub their, uh, rub their ear or their head, um, in animals that are in acute pain where they're not given freezing for the disbutting, they will um, be agitated they'll stamp their feet they'll fall they'll they'll kick sometimes um, so the, the behaviors are different even within one procedure um, but you know in other cases it might be um, it might be they lie down more they don't go to the feed bunk whatever the mm-hmm. pain, full issue is. Right. And so behavior is one thing we can look at. Another thing that we've looked at, um, historically, which isn't very practical for farmers, but from a research point of view is, you know, changes in the, in the blood yeah. that relate to pain, that might be cortisol concentrations in the blood. It could be, um, acute phase proteins that are indicators of, uh, in, an inflammatory response. Um, those kinds of things are also looked at. Um, Certainly other physiological uh, outcomes, um, things like uh, heart rate, respiratory rate, uh, in some cases, the changes in the eye temperature um, because of constriction of the pupils or dilation of the pupils have been looked at in some animals as well. So those are kind of physiologic measures. Um, And then there uh, could be um, measures of uh, pain sensitivity. And we have tools that we can use, really tiny fibers called von Frey hairs that can be used to try to elicit a a response. And animals that are in pain tend to be more sensitive to to inflictions of minor pain like that or pressure. Mm -hmm. We have a device called a pressure algometer that also... Uh, can be used to detect pain sensitivity, so those are kind of the big ones. And then um, there, there could be other things too. In some cases, like production outcomes, feed intake, yep. um, uh, growth. In some cases, but that's typically for a lot of the the painful procedures that we need to manage. Those things aren't often major outcomes. It's more the
0: the the, the earlier ones. I alluded to mm-hmm. that are important and some of those behavioral things yeah that that we really are indicative of Correct. I'm not feeling well yeah and then
1: you know sometimes there's uh, I, I alluded to acute and inflammatory pain and, and in some cases um, there might be pain that's noted so you do the you do a procedure with an animal and and we're there watching that animal so maybe we do a good job managing the acute pain um, for some procedure, but there's inflammatory pain that comes later. And if you're not watching that animal because um, you've done the procedure and you've moved on to whatever else is going on that day, um, there might be things that animal is displaying that you wouldn't see. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's, it's um, complicated in that context, too, because when we do the, this research, we're often um, intentionally looking at uh, observation periods that go beyond what, what producers might normally uh, do on the
0: farm. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's where that, that short versus long-term pain management comes into play a little bit that we're starting to, well, as producers, I think we're all getting more exposure to if that wasn't something that, you know, in the case of dehorning, disbutting, you know, if that's something that their technician or their veterinarian has been doing for them for a period of time, maybe the conversation hasn't been had as much about what short-term options look like, what long-term options look like. But the use of NSAIDs is really, I'd say, I mean, it's probably fair to use the word exploded, in, in the last several years, it seems.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I mean, we certainly have evidence that um, there's been uh, a significant uptake of the use of non anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs, as you said, um, by both producers and by veterinarians. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, that's the other thing I'll say is I, I, I'll be right up front. Like, I didn't use NSAIDs myself when I first graduated and, and was practicing um, because I didn't know that it was something that we should do. Mm -hmm. And now I look back on that and I think, well, that was really dumb. How could I not know that? But I think that it, I I say that because I I think that, um, producers and veterinarians shouldn't feel bad about, you know, not using the NSAIDs, but now we understand a lot more about pain and a lot, a lot more about the welfare of animals. And, um, and we all just need to learn how to apply, uh, better what what we know mm-hmm. uh, we shouldn't feel bad about what we've done in the past because i mean the reality is our knowledge changes, our understanding uh, changes with time. Yep,
0: and I think that's true of so many different things in life and and in dairy, you know. And so, in in many cases, uh, those are the same things for for a lot of our audience members, you know. Producers talking about this, and when we talk about pain management, one of the things, uh, one of the conditions you brought it up already is you know we talk about dehorning, disbudding as a as a painful procedure. Um, Proaction requires pain management for that procedure, and they sort of call them quote unquote animal health practice and that's extra teat removal or castration or branding. Um, The latter of those two, certainly less common, uh, less and less common in in the dairy industry. Um, But I think that it's also important that we broaden that conversation out, even though ProAction doesn't focus on it, to things like, surgery or things like dystocia or hard calvings. And, and surgery, of course, is going to be something that's, that a veterinarian is going to be involved in. And so I think traditionally and, and moving forward, pain management's part and parcel of that practice. Um, but dystocia and, you know, hard calvings and, and when we have to assist, uh, calving, you've done some work on that. I think there's some interesting areas. Do you want to talk about surgery and, and, and dystocia a little bit for us, Todd? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've done work
1: on, on, both and uh, the the surgery piece, um, I would say, um, is still not uh, widely known yet, perhaps. Although the work's been done now for about uh, five years, or maybe even more than that, um, we we did we did a, um, a couple of rumen fistulation uh, projects where we uh, looked at animals that got um, a lidocaine block for the surgery um, and then either received an NSAID or didn't, um, and then also another one where we where, where we compared two NSAIDs together, and then we we did a field study, which was quite tricky to to do, as you can imagine, where we looked at um, animals that had received surgery for a left-displaced albumasm, mm-hmm. and we had uh, a, a setup where producers administered uh, either a placebo or, a, or an NSAID for two days in a row um, following the, the surgery. And in all cases, in all studies, we, we showed a benefit in some way Uh, for the animal receiving an NSAID following surgery. So I say the conclusion from that body of work is that NSAIDs should be administered to the animals in addition to the normal uh, blocking or freezing that would go on at the time of the surgery. Right, And and the benefits to the animal... are, are primarily behavioral in that they they tend to show less discomfort with the surgical site. Okay. Um, they 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 tend not to avoid lying on the site as much as they normally would. As an example, mm-hmm. um, there was uh, some uh, a couple of studies where they they ate better. Uh, they either went to the bunk more frequently, or they uh, or they were more often to come up to the bunk to eat at the time. That was the producer study where they were blinded to the treatments and they, and they reported that the cows were much more likely to come up to the bunk, um, to eat, Mm -hmm. um, in the days following, following the the surgery with the NSAID on board. And then we've, in one case, we looked at, um, milk production and there was a tendency for improved milk production following the procedure if they got an NSAID versus not. So I think, I think all of those things point to uh, there's really no question, in my mind anyway, that, that these animals should, should definitely get a, an NSAID following surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the choice of that NSAID is really up to the, to the veterinarian and the producer, and, and they need to work together to figure out what the best choice there is for, for the herd and for the cow. hmm and then on the uh, on the dissociative side we've done some work on that um there i think there's more work to be done uh, around that yet um and as you say the the pain uh, i mean this is another one of these things like why didn't i think of this myself mm-hmm. um a long time ago uh, of course it would be painful for the cow and we tend to always uh, thought that I think as veterinarians, but I'm not sure very many of us really thought about the calf. Yeah. <laughs> and it's definitely painful for the calf to, um, interesting, uh, not pain related work, but, uh, some other work that, uh, that Terry Olivette did here when she was a grad student, uh, found a significant number of broken ribs in, in calves, right. Just doing routine, um, ultrasounding of the lungs. And, uh, Man, those calves must be painful if they're having their their ribs broken when they when they are uh, born, right? And uh, so I think um, I think both uh, consideration of pain pain management for the calf and the cow following dystocia is warranted. Mm-hmm. I would say um, our work supports at the very least giving uh, calves born to a, a, an assisted calving um, a pain uh, anti uh, pain product and NZ. Um, so I, I, have been advocating that for sure. And then, um, again, cows, all cows that give birth don't necessarily need to be given, uh, a pain management protocol, but, but certainly the ones that are assisted, uh, we've shown some benefits either behaviorally, uh, again, uh, changes in feeding behavior primarily,
0: um that, that would be a beneficial approach for, for those cows as well. Mm -hmm. Are there other areas? I mean, we know there are other conditions I should say that, that, uh, specific diseases, for example, that are painful. I mean, we, we don't have to look too much further than ourselves to know when we're not feeling well or we're sick, you know, yeah. there can be pain associated with that or an injury, for example, is, are we headed to a, to an area? Are we as veterinarians already thinking, you know, uh, we've got a hawk injury, we've got a transition cow disease. Are we, should we be thinking about pain management for some of these things or are we already sort of down that track?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good question. I, I think to, there's certain conditions where where we know from research that it's a it's a benefit to the cow um, to to, uh, to give pain mitigation. And so one thing I can say, we've done some work here on severe clinical mastitis, right? And uh, and definitely giving um, uh, pain mitigation uh, it, along with the other things that you would normally give to these cows, like fluid therapy, for example. Um, our, it, pain mitigation is going to be very helpful to this cow. It's going to help her return to feed quicker. It's going to reduce the, uh, um, the pain sensitivity in the udder and the udder inflammation. And um, it's generally just going to help her recover better from that illness um, if she gets uh, an NSAID. So that, that one in my mind is very clear. We've hmm. also done in calves work with um, work with uh, diarrhea, calves with diarrhea. And, and again, I mean, these calves need fluids, but but an NSAID on board uh, helps them recover from their illness quicker. They, um, they lie Interestingly, they lie down in the early uh, 24 hours more, and then they're more active later right. when they get the NSAID. Um, they get on to uh, feed quicker, and uh, and, they, and in this one study, they were weaned uh, earlier as well just from that NSAID therapy. Um at the time of diarrhea. And it's really interesting. that's another part of this pain management that interests me is the sickness behavior yeah. piece of it as well. And so in this case, it looks like both with the uh, um cows with severe mastitis and the and the calves with diarrhea that the the NSAI is is altering their sickness behavior um to help them get over that pain quicker and get them onto um, feed a little bit faster, which, which I find interesting. Mm-hmm. There's other things though, Steve, like um, lameness that it's not so clear cut. And, and you mentioned hawk injuries. And I, I would say we just straight on don't know mm-hmm. whether an NSAID is going to help a cow with a hawk injury or not. Yep. Um, so maybe that's a research question for, for, for one of us to, to try to answer. But even with lameness, like uh, we know that if you give an NSAID very early, in the course of a a lameness that is an early soul ulcer where they're 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 given a trim and a block is applied to the healthy claw and they're given an NSAID those cows do much better than cows that don't get the NSAID but treated the same Mm -hmm. Um, but um, there's other studies where giving an NSAID to a lame cow you know, it provided some temporary benefit, but but the cow's still lame, and it and it doesn't necessarily help in the lo- in the long run. So I think there's a bit of gray around what should we actually do with NSAIDs and lameness, and uh, you know certainly we we can't keep cows on NSAIDs forever. There is a consequence to repeated treatments of NSAIDs over time, or a potential consequence in sure. terms of ulceration in the uh, uh, albumasum for example. Yep. So there's still a lot of questions around that, and uh, you know, I think of, of myself. Like I, I have a, a battle with severe arthritis in one of my knees, and uh, some days when it's really bad, uh, I'll, I'll take an Advil or a Tylenol, and uh, and it feels better, and I get through the day. And other days it's pretty good, and I don't need to worry about it, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, maybe maybe cows are like that with lameness in some cases, but I don't know when the right day is to apply the treatment. And when not to.
0: Yeah. No kidding. So there's a lot more we need to figure out. Exactly. So, you know, I am always interested in when we think about, you know, what are some of the factors that might motivate the, you know, in this case, Canadian dairy producers to adopt, you know, the use of something that it sounds like more and more research is suggesting, uh, is effective, at least in certain areas, like you say. Um, and and one of the things we often look for is that economic argument. You know, if you if you treat her, if you spend a little bit of money up front, what you know, in whatever case, you're going to get more milk out of her, or she's going to be she'll return to the productive herd quicker. And in some cases, it sounds like pain management. You know, while there may be some some effects there from a production standpoint, there are, there may not be the dramatic cut and dry sort of benefits that said there's clearly an animal welfare component to all of this too so you know sort of peeling back the onion so to speak and thinking about the different reasons that a producer listening here should be engaged in 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 talking with their veterinarian about pain control or as an industry why we should be really moving forward what what would you say to those two different levels at the farm level and as an industry level it's i mean it's a great
1: question and certainly um i think there would be uh uh, in, interesting responses from from uh, producers and veterinarians around that question um, I, you know so my opinion and, and from my own research um, there isn't going to be um, a cost-benefit uh, argument for things like disbudding um or possibly even for, for some surgery cases. I mean, just the fact that they eat better for a couple of days doesn't mean that they're going to be more productive. Right. But in my mind, those are cut and dry in terms of what we should do. We know it benefits the animal. The animal recovers better from the procedure, and we're imposing those procedures on the animal. So in my view, we have a duty of care, um, and, and we're, we need to be responsible and, and do the best that we can within reason for these animals. And I think within reason that means uh, a local block and an NSAID. Um, and I also think that, um, just beyond the duty of care that there's a, a public expectation that we're going to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in order to be able to to sell our products and have the consumer confidence that we're looking after our animals, I think that we, we have to apply uh, that scientific knowledge to practice. Um, in other cases, though, uh, there there is quite likely a, a benefit that, that is um, a production benefit. And like I said, I pointed to uh, diarrhea as an example. We clearly showed those calves grew faster and right. were able to be weaned quicker, right? Um, but that's the exception in a lot of these situations, I think, um, and not the rule. And so we need to, for sure, if there's an economic benefit and we can make an argument that there's a a return on that investment of the said then, then great. Um, but that's just not going to be the case in, in a lot of situations. So I think what we need to build into uh, the return on investment equation is the ability to sell our product.
0: Yep. Yep. And I think you hit on it right there is, is you know, ultimately, it's the right thing to do in many cases. And and we we don't always have an economic argument for that. But it is, it, it's, you know, it is part of the you know, quote unquote, national or global economics of this, right? We don't get to do what we like to do if we, if we aren't able to, uh, to make sure and, and, and prove that we're taking care of our animals. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Todd, I think that's actually a nice place to, to actually wrap up. We've kind of gone through that whole, you know, the, what is pain to, to what are some of the areas we see it and, and what can we do about it? And it sounds like one of the biggest takeaways is we really need to encourage farmers listening or veterinarians listening to, at minimum, have that conversation, right, to, to see where does it fit and what products fit and how do those work specifically on, on one another's farms.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would encourage producers to ask their veterinarians a, about the use of, uh, of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And uh, we have several options. We're fortunate in Canada. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's drugs on the market right now uh, that have milk withdrawals and meat withdrawals assigned to them uh, and, and have pain management claims. And so I encourage the producers to ask their veterinarians about, about the choice of products and, and what might be the best choice for them. Um, And I also encourage veterinarians to have these conversations with their producers because I think sometimes um, as veterinarians, we make assumptions with our producers about what they may or may not uh, do and and adopt in terms of things like pain management. And uh, I encourage them to have open discussions with their producers about that and,
0: and work together as a team to figure out what the best approaches are. Great. Thanks very much, Todd. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series. The focus of this project is to try and help Canadian dairy producers make informed decisions about animal care on their farms and support them in striving for continuous improvement. For more information, please visit the Dairy Farmer of Canada website, dairyfarmers.ca, and don't forget to like and subscribe for more content. This podcast was narrated, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Roach. Thank you to our guests and to you for listening. The project is hosted by the Dairy Farmers of Canada and partly funded by the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a five-year federal-provincial territorial initiative. Thank you for listening.